0: This is the Washington State Indivisible podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. So we're going to talk this week about the importance of the midterm election, specifically to us here in Washington, and especially in light of the recent Supreme Court rulings on abortion, guns and more. It is maybe more important than ever to keep our state government in democratic hands. And there are a number of crucial races that are going to determine the balance of power in the legislature. So here to talk about all this is our friend Shasti Conrad. She is chair of the King County Democrats. Hi, Shasti. Hello. Hello. And Kat Pipkin is a member of the Washington Indivisible Network Steering Committee, as well as the executive producer of the show. Hi, Kat. Hello. Friends, Hello, hello. So, you know, as I say, we're going to talk about the importance of keeping the state legislature, but I do want to kind of start with a a big picture question. That is this, you know, we, the three of us and and Will Casey also talked about the leaked draft ruling on Roe, um, and it is now very tragically a reality. And I'm wondering how each of you thinks that this ruling, uh, along with a a lot of the other potential threats to 14th Amendment protections, how this all changes potentially the dynamic of, of this election. What do you think, Shasti?
1: Well, you know, in the last couple of years, we have said over and over again, this is the most important election of our lives. And uh, it turns out, this one is going to be that again, as well. Um, I think that we are seeing, um, you know, the, the fallout of the last couple of years of um, sort of government in disarray, the Republicans on a full path towards authoritarianism and fascism. And, you know, we really do need um, progressives and, you know, Democrats and all of us to really stand up and, 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 and turn out. We have to, we have to, we have to do everything we can to organize and um, protect democracy because that's truly what is at stake.
0: Kat, what do you think? Well,
2: you know, plus one to what, what Shasti said, I guess for me, the real question is, is having a rogue SCOTUS and a Republican party intent on destroying democracy? Is that enough? Is that the thing that finally makes people stand up and say, okay, Okay. Enough is enough. Uh, You know, this is the first time in the modern era that we've actually had a SCOTUS that's taking rights away from people. That's a pretty big deal. And hopefully that wakes people up and makes people aware that, um, you know, these consequences are generational. They've been working on this for 40 years. Um, We can't lurch from crisis to crisis and think, you know, transactionally about elections one at a time. I think we need to learn from that and start taking a more generational approach while attending intimately to every single election um, so that we get people in office who actually match our values.
0: (laughs) Thank you for all that. I do want to underscore what you're saying about the generational challenges. I think some of the things that we are facing right now, it's really going to require a very long-term commitment uh, right now. And I think the more that we shift our message to acknowledge that reality, uh, I think the better at this point. And, you know, just given the shifting dynamics, Shasta, you kind of touched on uh, leadership a little bit. I wonder how you would like to see Democratic leadership really navigating this moment at both the state and the federal level. What do you think?
1: Yes, um, I, you know, we're in a moment where we have to kind of fight for our lives. And I think we need leadership to demonstrate that they understand and are willing to meet the moment that we are in. I and mean, like what you were saying, these generational challenges, it has felt at times that leadership, particularly, you know, in Washington, D.C., uh, seems out of out of touch. You know, it seems like, you know, I, I was quite sort of surprised and really kind of horrified to see that, like, Nancy Pelosi, uh, in the response to, you know, Roe being overturned, is uh, taking 70 other uh, House members out to the steps, and they're singing God Bless America. That's not what we want to see right now. We want to see the response of, I think, folks like AOC, who was on Colbert a week or so ago, and I thought was so crisp in her messaging, and so crisp in her, like, we have got to stand up and fight. These are the things we need to do, which is we need to make sure that we are turning out um, additional senators and that we are um, organizing and we're being strategic. And we are fighting back because that is what the Republicans are doing. Like Kat said, it's a 40 year plan. They Republicans have been number like just zero point focus right on. This is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. Democrats keep being sort of caught on our back heels and we've got to take a more sort of forward, I think, fight stance. And I know people don't like hearing the word fight, but that is truly what I think we are in right now. And I would really love to see leadership recognize that that's what young people want to see. And it is upsetting sometimes to see leadership that are often in their 70s and above not match that kind of fervor that I feel like young people feel because it really is for the rest of their lives. It's looking like things are going to be worse than what it's been.
0: I think it's very important that and I've, I've mentioned this a number of times on the program, we really do need to start acknowledging the fact that we need to not only keep the House at this point, we need to expand the Senate and even Patty Murray is openly talking about this. Now, we need two more senators to pass uh, real legislation here. Even Biden is now very vocal about ending the filibuster. I wonder if that changes or if at least that sort of um, seasons and or mitigates some of the, the thoughts that you're having about leadership.
1: I was really happy to see that. I was really happy to see um, that, you know, Biden came out so like clearly because I think that's the type of clear messaging that we need on our side. You know, the first thing that you hear from so many people is like, well, what do we do? You know, and, and, and for better, or for worse, you know, a lot of the answers from Democrats have been like, Hey, fundraise, you know, give me a dollar and that will help. But then it's spread all over the place and people are like, what's the point point? and I'm being bombarded by, you know, 20, 30 asks for fundraising. When we're really clear, I think the other thing I will say is that we were proud to get 50 senators, you know, two years ago, and it was incredibly important. It meant that we had leadership, um, that we had, you know, committee chairs and whatnot. But 50 senators is not the like it, it's not the winning formula that we thought that it was going to be. Right. We need those 52 in order to that. And uh, two additional senators that are committed to breaking the filibuster in order to codify row codify same-sex marriage like so many other things if you have a few dollars you know give to your local candidates absolutely you want to make sure we're taking care of here at home if you have a few more dollars you need to be focusing that uh those that uh money into i would say wisconsin whoever ends up being running against ron johnson and then john fetterman in pennsylvania if we can get those two seats and we can flip those two seats we will have 52 senators, we obviously need to keep Warnock in Georgia, we need to make sure you know that all of our other folks um, get, you know, continue on. But that's where we need to be really clear about what we're doing and any of your organizing support to making phone calls. If at some point in the fall, you're like, I'm ready to hop on a plane and you feel safe to do so. That's where we're going to need all of our energy.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for all of that. I think that's exceptionally well put. You know, um, we're acutely aware, we three, and I think most people listening and watching to this, uh, watching this program are aware of the threats to our democracy. They're aware of the threats to our rights. But we also know that when we're out on the doors, we're hearing economic concerns, inflation, you know, rising cost of living, gasoline, things like that. How do you think, Kat, that we message to voters about all of this? Well,
2: First, we need to acknowledge everybody's pain. People are, are having income insecurity, their housing housing insecurity, the getting gas in your car is expensive, buying buying healthful groceries at the store is expensive. Um, you know, we've had more consolidation of major industry with not enough regulation. You know, all of that is real pain for people. So, our job is to daylight the fact that Democrats are the only ones actually trying to solve. Those pain points. Right. Um, for example, Democrats proposed legislation to end the formula shortage. The GOP wouldn't even come to the table. We had to get that done without the GOP participating in that process. Democrats have tried to address price gouging. They've, they've tried to address, uh, you know, gas prices. Again, as I mentioned, um, in Washington State, and, you know, that's all at the federal level. But well, let's talk about Washington State, right? Since the Democrats took control of both chambers in our legislature, we've had the the highest bond rating you can get, the AAA bond rating, over the last three years. That didn't happen when Republicans were in control. They're not about governing. They're about politicking. We had the best COVID economic recovery in the country. Why? Because the Washington state legislature is controlled by Democrats who actually care about policymaking, not politicking. All the GOP wants to do is obstruct, 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 throw, you know, emotional, you know, inflammatory bombs at the press and just see, you know, what's going to happen? Who's going to get mad today? In the background, Democrats are actually doing stuff
1: to make people's lives better.
0: Oh, What a, what a concept. Can you even imagine? Chesty, anything to add to that?
1: I would just say that I think that's where Democrats really need to, like, for the messaging, we have to keep on those exact point, right we have to we have to keep talking about how we are actually helping people that is what we are committed to doing that is what running for office being in these elected positions that is what it's about and we need to keep daylighting the fact that the republicans are not i think the other thing i was thinking about like with the you know scottish ruling is it we are proving right now that we are currently under minority rule <laughs> that the vast majority of people Inconsistently in every national poll are in favor of, um, you know, their approach choice. They're, um, you know, they are open to these, to same sex marriage, to all of these things that we have, we have already settled. Um, and yet the Republicans and people in power are making it so that like this sort of small, you know, sort of white Christian mentality is what is it. We all have to live by. And that is, that is what we're fighting against. That's what we're pushing back. And I think that the messaging on our side has to just keep being, we see you, we stand with you. We know you're going through stuff. We're here to help you. This is how we're doing that. And, you know, Or the people who brought you the stimulus payments. Or the people who um, brought you the child care tax credit. That's what we need to keep on and we need to keep doing, not just saying it, but actually, um, you know, legislating so that we're helping
0: people. 100% agreed. And something that I would just add to button all that is that, and this is a message really for our fellow progressives watching and listening, is that... We're dealing with a fully radicalized GOP now. They cannot be reasoned with, they cannot be negotiated with. The only thing that they really understand is power. And so it is our singular mission, in my opinion, that we need to keep them away from the levers of power, full stop. So uh, again, I want to get to the legislature in just a moment, but I want to talk quickly about a couple of federal races here uh, with us here in the state and start with Patty Murray's reelection campaign. We talked about her briefly already, but she doesn't seem to be under much of a threat from Republican uh, Tiffany Smiley, but it does seem like they're trying to get her to spend on her war chest so that she can't spend it elsewhere. Shasti, how do you think people on the door should be thinking about uh, Murray's race right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're in so much trouble if Senator Murray loses. I can't really imagine a world that that happens, but it means we have to do our due diligence to ensure that we send her back to Congress. Um, and so people on the doors have got to just be on that messaging, like we just talked about and about how you know she has been the leader for the child care tax credit. She has been the leader for really so many things that impact, um, you know, working families um, and, you know, it's helpful to people in Washington state, but uh, certainly across the country, she has been leading and been a voice for, you know, for, for now decades, honestly, for mothers and families and, you know, That's what we've got to be focused on. I think that unfortunately, because of the sort of um, dynamics that we are currently in, Tiffany Smiley will do better than any of us want her to. It'll be a uncomfortable, you know, close race. But I think at the end of the day, Senator Murray will prevail. But we just can't get we can't get complacent about needing to make sure that we support her.
0: I also want to mention Dr. Kim Schreier's reelection campaign. So her presumptive opponent is going to be Reagan Dunn, King County Council Member Reagan Dunn. Dunn has very publicly flip-flopped his stance on abortion at um, what for him is an extremely inopportune time. Kat, how do you think this impacts the race?
2: Uh, Well, I don't know who he thought he was going to win by doing that. Uh, That doesn't make any sense. But it is a great opportunity of pointing out that there are no moderates in the GOP. Um, that they, there's just no room for that in the, in the Republican platform. It's, it's actually forbidden these days. If you want to vote for a moderate these days, that moderate is going to, if they're an actual moderate, they're going to be a Democrat because there's room for moderation in the Democratic party. There's literally no room for that in the Republican party.
0: Yep. see, see, see my earlier point about a fully radicalized GOP, uh, Shasti, <laughs> any thoughts on, on the shrier race?
1: Just that it's, you know, the way that district was drawn, it is 5149. So we have to do everything we can to knock those doors, to reach people, to hit them with this messaging um, and to push back. Those of us here in King County know um, you know, how destructive uh Reagan Dunn has been in his personal life and for the county. And so we need to do everything we can to make sure that he does not get more power. Basically he's running on a my mom had it, I want it back sort of platform. And that just, you know, that's that's not okay. That's not enough. Um and I don't want to keep rewarding these kind of really basic dudes who just think that like They can just, you know, take what they want and that's it. So, you know, we just need to do everything we can to support.
0: No rewarding basic dudes. I love that. Kat, you had something you wanted to add to that?
1: The eighth's boundaries were
2: really redrawn. There's a lot of new territory in the eighth, right? So there's a lot of outreach that needs to happen in the in the new eighth congressional district boundaries. People who may, in fact, have heard of Reagan Dunn's mom, uh, but who might not know Dr. Kim Schreier and know that she's the one who's been responsible for bringing federal funding in to help people in the eighth. You know, whereas he's just trying to hang on Mama's coattails.
0: Kat, you know, a race that you and I have been looking at very, very closely as a secretary of state race for a number of reasons, which we will get to in just a moment. Uh, but I just want to get your thoughts generally on the dynamics of this, because we have a far right radical in Mark Molosha, um, who's a Republican candidate. Then we have Steve Hobbs, uh, who is a Democrat who moved. He was moved by the governor from his perch as the head of the Senate Transportation Committee uh, to the position of secretary of state. And then there is Pierce County Auditor Julie Anderson, who is running as a quote unquote nonpartisan. And so, you know, we know how nationally how important secretary of state races, uh, positions rather, are Brad Raffensperger immediately comes to mind. Kat, what are your thoughts both about the importance of the race here in Washington and really what it means to have this so-called nonpartisan in the race?
2: Yeah, I mean, on, on regardless of uh, your position uh Anderson's claims to nonpartisanship are just weak sauce, right? It, they're just nonsense. Um, she not only endorsed the Republican secretary of state <laughs> Previously, but she she appeared in all of her advertising and commercials. So this is not a nonpartisan person, right? This is not an independent person. But let's step back from that for a minute and just you know she's very persuasive, etc. Let's talk about the idea of what the Secretary of State does. The Secretary of State's job is to protect access to democracy. Period. They do that through the archives. They do that through the state library. They do that by protecting and securing elections. Why on earth would we elect somebody who doesn't fully believe in expanding and protecting the franchise to that job? That's literally what Democrats stand for. It's literally what Republicans don't stand for. And moreover, we are in a binary system. We're in a two-party system, and one of those parties believes in destroying the electoral system. You can't be neutral in the face of that. Uh, it's your job to protect that system by, ex- by not hitting back at that, you accepting and legitimizing um, the party that's actually trying to destroy the job you're there to do. So this idea of independence, you know, being an independent, being nonpartisan, it's just nonsense.
0: It is concerning to me in the extreme that she is talking about herself as a, and I'm talking about Anderson here, uh, as a test case for blue state secretaries of state. There's an article in Business Insider from uh, December of last year. Very dangerous precedent uh, in my mind. I think we need committed Democrats in these positions, especially in blue states, because we've already seen how dangerous they can and really will be in red states. So I believe we have to hold the line where we can. So I do want to shift over and talk about the state legislature. So, um, first and foremost, she asked We know it would be a very narrow path for Republicans, but are you at all concerned about Democrats losing their majorities in either chamber?
1: I am not, but I certainly know that there are leaders within our party that that are. I think that, um, you know, I believe in our organizing infrastructure. I believe that, you know, the incumbents that we have and the candidates that we have running in these um, you know throughout King County, but across the state and in these key sort of swing districts. I think they're incredible. Like, I think the talent is there. Um, it's just that, you know, we've got to do the work to be able to make sure that we're, um, sending, you know, great, great people to the state legislature. Um, I actually think the rhetoric that, you know, the sort of, you know, chicken little, you know, the roof's on fire. We're going to lose. I actually think that doesn't help turn out voters. Um, I think that it actually demoralizes people and makes them feel like well then what's the point in voting um so i think it's more important that we talk about the messaging that we were just talking about previously about this is what we do this is what we've done this is what we can do when we have even more you know great uh leaders that we can send to the state legislature so i think we've got to be really positive and um encourage people so that people. Are like, yeah, I want to vote too. I want to be a part of this. Like, this is an important time to be organizing alongside my friends and family and neighbors and whatnot, and not just talk about how the, the doomsday of it all.
0: Kat, I know that you have some thoughts about this as well, because you and I have discussed this quite a bit. Um, the state legislature, and this is some, a place where we're going to be you know, directing a lot of our programming between now and November. The state legislature is important specifically for all the reasons that Shasti is talking about. We have a radical Supreme Court that is going to be handing down decisions that are going to impact the, the federal uh, government. And so state government becomes all the more important, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean, this is literally the firewall. Um, This is the last stop between the federal government and people's daily lives. Uh, So if we have, you know, there's just no margin for error there. I mean, even here in blue states, we have radical Republicans here in our state. We still have legislation that's been proposed in the state legislature that didn't get a hearing this year that criminalizes abortion, that criminalizes uh, gender affirming health care, that we we have. Um, lots and lots of radicals here. Um, and the only thing protecting us is strong democratic majorities that allow for our plurality.
0: So I do want to look at some of the races, starting with the Senate first, uh, and we'll start with the name that is on everybody's mind, and that is Senator Emily Randall. She is running to keep her Senate seat in the 26th, that is Bremerton and the Kitsap Peninsula. She narrowly won in 2018. This is a pretty purple district. Shasti, I wonder if you could just, for listeners who may not be familiar, talk about her record and really what she brings to this position.
1: I mean, she's been one of the bright stars of uh, the Washington State Senate these last several years. Um, she came in. She um, used to work at uh, Planned Parenthood. She came in as kind of a activist and a and a leader who understood how to work with, um, you know, NGOs and foundations and and how you work how you sort of work both with the public and you know do the sort of inside game. And she has done so much to really. Um, kind of energize the Senate, um, connect people in her district, but also beyond. I mean, you hear Emily Randall's name throughout the state as someone that, you know, people like are really excited to hear from and connect with. And she's working on so many important issues that, you know, help women and people, uh, people of color and families. and, And, you know, she really is sort of like a person of the people. Um, I know that there's a lot of concern about she, you know, like you said, she won narrowly last time. There's a lot of concern about her keeping the seat. They did a lot to ensure that, you know, she um, got support for the Tacoma Narrows Bridge as something that she could, you know, use as, as um, something that she really delivered for the hometown. And I, you know, I think she's, she's earned a return, you know, she's done the work. um, And I know her opponent, I just think there's just no there's no comparison. Yes. yes
0: tell us um, about Jesse Young. <laughs> I think he's a particularly odious uh, candidate, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, just another one of these awful <laughs> radicalized GOP members, not that smart and, you know, really very much um, wants to return us to kind of like 1950s and, you know, men in power. And um, so, you know, we 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 need Emily. I mean, we absolutely need Emily here in King County. We're already talking about. um Sending canvassers down um, in our, you know, with our particularly blue-on-blue um, districts, and encouraging people to go down and canvass and support her because we really need to keep her.
0: Yeah, Kat, you have anything you want to add to that?
1: Yeah, you know, I think her race
2: is m- even more important than people realize. She is on the front lines of protecting healthcare workers in the face of a radicalized infrastructure at the federal level that's trying to make it much harder for people to deliver quality care. Uh, outside of the I-5 corridor, you don't have a lot of choice in healthcare. care. Um, she's, again, on the front lines of where you you may not have a choice of healthcare providers. You may have a religious hospital down there that's your only choice. We need people who understand that and understand how that protecting your, your care and care providers, not just the patients, but also providers, so that their risk and liability is mitigated in the face of, of these consolidations of healthcare systems. I know that she's also really working to provide greater oversight of that kind of consolidation. Um, having more than 40% of the beds in the state of Washington controlled by a religious organization is not great for care.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can say that again. You know, Shasta, you were mentioning King County races, and I I do want to talk about one of the marquee Senate races there. uh, And this is in the 47th. This is South King County. This is the seat being vacated by Mona Doss. What can you tell us about this race?
1: Yes, the 47th. Um, particularly that Senate race, um, is our top, one of our top priorities in King County. Um, Mona uh, won only by about 500 votes last time. Um, and, you know, the, the Republican opponent in this race, Bill Boyce, he's the um, sort of city council president um, in Kent. He is a black man um, who comes from sort of a law enforcement background. He's backed by Kent um, Chamber of Commerce you know, he's got a compelling story, and he's a very serious candidate. Um, but we are all in for Satwinder Cower, who is also a member of the um, uh, Kent City Council. She's incredible. She's so talented. Um, she's built an amazing coalition down there in the 47th. Um, the 47th also, I think, is really enigmatic of the dynamics that we're seeing throughout the country, even. Um, it is a minority majority um district uh and it's also this it's facing the dynamics of as it becomes more and more expensive in cities like seattle and tacoma people are moving into these sort of ex-urban places which is where the 47th is and so you're seeing those dynamics of people who you know have lived out in you know lived there for decades and now you have newer people that are younger more people of color that are moving in um into into the district People that, you know, you have, it's Covington and it's Auburn. So there's people that are in more rural parts, um, that are also, you know, voting alongside people in Kent, which is a much more urban setting. So you have all of these different dynamics at play. And so it's, it's, it's such a key, um, district that we, we have to keep. I mean, it was so important that, you know, we won it, uh, four years ago. And I, you know, I believe Satwinder is absolutely our best, um, option to, to help us keep that seat. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely it's going to need a lot of support and a lot of people out there on these doors, making sure that um, they know what Democrats bring.
0: You mentioned that Bill Boyce is he's a person of color. What do we make of the fact that the GOP is running a number of candidates in color in this and and other races? And, and also, I should mention, in the 30th, which is also in your district, what do you make of that?
1: Yeah, we've been seeing that for the last several cycles, particularly in South King County, that the GOP has been running um, predominantly candidates of color. Um, and honestly, I think that is because, unfortunately, it is to confuse voters. Um, it is the sense of we can sort of play on, I'm going to say it, white guilt and, you know, confuse people to think this is these are people who are going to stand up for these values um, and it is, it is definitely a tactic that they, that they're using. We saw this in the CTAC races, um, the last couple of years. And, you know, a lot of times these are candidates and Bill Boyce is, you know, he's been in government for a while, but a number of these other candidates, like Blake in the 30th, like they've never been a part of politics. They've never shown any interest in public service. They really are just sort of the front for a radicalized GOP, as you said, to kind of just be the face of What ultimately is to cape for white supremacy, as I see it.
0: And really, I think a lot of them are being positioned as moderates, which kind of goes back to your point about no GOP moderates, right, Kat?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's no room for moderate for moderates in the the current GOP. Look at the platform. There's no room for moderation there. So they're trying to claim cynically this, this moderate space that they don't actually have any right to. And as Shasti says, quite rightly, they're just trying to confuse people yeah. uh, by, by claiming that there's they, space for moderates in their party. There isn't claiming that they exist for and will serve people of color and they won't.
0: So i want to talk about the house race in the 30th which is also in your district Shasty but before we do before we leave the senate cat what are your thoughts on the campaign of our friend sharon Shoemaker up in the 42nd in bellingham so she is vacating her house seat to run for senate i'd love for you to tell us a little bit about this race and in particular the candidate that she is running against what, what, what can you tell us here
2: Oy, oh my gosh this kid okay first of all this is a person who has Absolutely no common lived experience with anybody in the district. He's 21 years old, which, if he had had any life experience that qualified him for the job, would be fine. But the guy hasn't even had a job. He's been homeschooled. He's led an extraordinarily sheltered life. Uh, he, you know, literally never even went to school until he got an AA degree. Um, you, you contrast that to the person who's extraordinarily qualified. And Dr. Sharon Shumake, Uh, somebody who has proven that she can work across the aisle and divide and conquer the work up there to look both short term and long term at solutions. I mean, when they had the terrible floods up there, uh, she got right to work and got them funding to get them back up and running. She's the one who's been working to get that plant opened up again right? She, they have a union contract now. So now if they can provide green energy to that plant, they can get it going and like really check all the boxes off. So whether it's childcare, workforce development, getting people back to work after the pandemic, having an economist who's also, let's see, she's her PhDs. She teaches economics, uh, economics and economics
0: and environment. So yeah, talk about right? the double trouble. Yeah.
2: So meeting threat. the moment of our needs here, Right. Um, she's absolutely a terrific candidate for that area up there and has proven her worth in, in her race.
0: Here, here, and she is also an incredibly wonderful person, and has a hilarious Twitter uh, presence. If uh, that is your thing, check her out on Twitter. You know, so let's go back to the 30th LD Shasti in uh, Federal Way. There are two. And, and now we're going to talk about. To shift. talk about the House. Um, there are two House races. They're very important. Uh, one is the re-election of Jamila Taylor, and the other is to replace Jesse Johnson, who is not seeking re-election. And I think part of the reason why these races are expected to be tough is because of the perceived backlash against jesse johnson's police accountability bills but also there are other challenges like property crime and homelessness how are you thinking about this race
1: yeah i would say alongside the 47th as we discussed earlier the 38th is our next priority um these um these particular seats have been they've been targeted um and i think it's a big reason why jesse chose not to run for reelection was because he had been so out there as the face of these um you know police accountability bills and so therefore what does the gop do they're running law and order candidates against um you know our folks in the 30th and they are making it about that um and yeah it is really scary i mean obviously jamila taylor is amazing and you know we absolutely need her back in the house we need to do everything we can to support her and also christine reeves you know we're supporting all the way and you know she's fantastic she had the role before she knows the job um, and so it's incredibly important. It's another one that is just going to, it's the dynamics that we're facing, you know, throughout the country around, um, like you said, questions around homelessness, public safety. And the GOP is very good at stirring up fear and making it about, you know, how do we scare people um, so that they vote against their own interests? And so what we have to do is, again, say, this is the reality. These people will not actually help you. They don't actually care. They just want power <laughs> that they're telling you whatever you want to hear so that they can get power. We actually will do everything we can. We are doing everything we can to make sure that we've got you know money in your pockets, that we are supporting um, and making sure that there's real safety, real safety, not just safety in name or under these sort of um, stirred up media based threats.
0: Well, it's not an either or situation, right Kat?
1: Right. I mean,
2: I'm thinking of what our law and justice chair of the Washington State Senate, Monica Dengra, says. She says, you know, we can walk and cheat gum at the same time. We're actually pretty smart here in Washington State. We value I think it's important when we're on the doors that we, you know, acknowledge people's pain, acknowledge people's fears, acknowledge the rising crime rates. But we have to look at what the crime is. Right. We need to look at what the causes of homelessness are. And lift up in daylight for people that we value public safety for everybody equally, which is not what the other party values. We can have both police accountability and, and safety, right? We can have both of those things. Both are possible and both, more importantly, are necessary for a safe community.
0: Here, here, Uh I do want to take a moment to call out the race in my home district. That is the 5th LD. That's Issaquah. Representatives Bill Ramos and Lisa Cowan uh, are going to be fending off challengers. And I would just say these are two remarkable legislators. Great people. Uh, we're very lucky to have them. Uh, and uh, a lot of you folks who are planning on coming here to the 8th District to canvas for Dr. Schreier, uh, you're going to wind up being in the 5th. And so you will be hearing about uh, and possibly questions about uh, Representatives Ramos and Cowan. And so I have a recent episode featuring both of them which i will be putting in the show notes for you to check out i encourage you to do so kat one final district to discuss is the 44th in snohomish so john lovick was appointed to the senate from the house uh his seat was filled by indivisible leader brandy donaghy who is running to keep the seat what are your thoughts here
2: well, first of all, Indivisibles are really engaged in this in these races up there in that district, um, with all three members being people of color. Brandy's a former Indivisible leader. She's brand new to the legislature, and so people don't know her really well yet. Um, so there's a ton of doors, you know, since that's one of the districts whose boundaries have been really redrawn. That's one of those districts where we really need to get out on the doors. But again, Our people, our people, meaning indivisibles and progressives, uh, Democrats, people who actually care about democracy, um, are super engaged up there to support these three outstanding candidates. So I have no doubt they're going to win their races.
0: Well, I want to thank both of you for taking the time to give such an incredible overview of the races that we're looking at. I'm sure that there are some that we've overlooked. And, uh, you know, if you are so inclined, please let us know uh, in the the responses to the posting of this show, uh, wherever you may find it. Uh, because certainly we are looking to give as much of a fulsome look at all of the great Democrats who are running for uh, races here um in twenty twenty two shasti, I'll just give you uh, a a moment here just uh, give us some closing thoughts.
1: Just so these next we're at, we're at the four month mark uh we four months we the primary is uh, just a few weeks away. Ballots are dropping this week for the primary. Um, You should be getting your voter's guide in the mail very soon. I would also check out, like, the Progressive Voter's Guide, Fuse. There's a lot of really great other sources. The Stranger, who our friend Will Casey um, is over at. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, pay attention, you know, vote. Tell your friends, family, neighbors, everyone that, like, it's really important that we engage um, in these elections. And, you know, I... We've got to feel people's pain, as Kat was so eloquently saying earlier. We've got to meet people in the moment that they are in. And once we've made that connection, then we tell people they've got to vote. We can't just scream vote at people. We've got to be able to say why, what they are voting for, what the Democrats stand for, what progressives stand for. And then we've got to be strategic and organize and do the work.
0: We have a hell of a lot to stand for, and I think we have a hell of a lot to be proud of, and I think that's something that we should remember. And not for nothing, we are the only party who is, A, committed to actually doing something to address people's problems, preserving democracy, and keeping our rights. How about that? You know, that's just an opening offer for you. Kat, um, I know that we have an awful lot of great programming coming up on this stuff. You want to give people a quick preview?
2: Yeah, so... um One town hall I really want to lift up for people is next Tuesday at 7 p.m. We have a town hall with Secretary of State Steve Hobbs. We've actually never had uh, the former senator and current secretary of state on the show. And it's a job that is actually both a lot more complex and a lot broader than people realize. So I'm really excited for people to come and hear from the secretary next week about what the job entails and what his approach to the job has been.
0: Terrific. And as I said, we're going to have a number of legislative town halls. So as Rachel Maddow likes to say, watch this space. Uh, We will have notes to everything that we talked about uh, in the program today in the show notes. Uh, Shasti Conrad, as always, thank you so much for being here, my friend.
1: Thank you for having me. Great to be back.
0: And Kat, as always, thank you. Thank you. And that'll do it for this week. If you would like to see a video of this or any of our programming, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org and the email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at indivisiblepod. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin and thanks as always to Lori Caldwell. My thanks as well to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.